I want to spend a little bit of time in God's Word to study some of the things that God's Word has to say about moms and why they are so important. And also, I want to see what God's Word has to say about the sanctity of life. I want this, and I hope this message will be a blessing this morning. I hope it'll also be a challenge this morning because it should change lives. Not my message, but the Holy Spirit. And I'm excited to share this this morning because I'm really excited about what we are doing as a church. And I'll get into more of that in the latter part of my message, but it's a new ministry that we want to launch today, and we're really excited about it. And I will apologize ahead of time, just in case, because sometimes it tends to get me choked up. And so I'll, I'll try to hold it together today. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this time that we can be together this morning in your word. God, you are so good. You are so good. Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would minister today through your word and touch our hearts and our lives as we look at the importance of mothers and the importance of life. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So life does not come from nothing. It takes life to create life. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So right from the start, God, who is eternal, has always been, created life from his own life. He then gave mankind the life-creating components built in to continue the process of life-creating life. When does life begin? Well, isn't that really this question that's been asked for the last few decades, but it's really a silly question. You know, both the egg and the sperm must be alive for any new life to be generated from the collision of the two. And the next thing we know for a fact is that once life is created, it's alive. And there's no period from that miraculous moment on when life is not alive. That truly is a miraculous moment. Through God's awesome design, a man and a woman can create a new life. And I thank God that he has made known through science, real science, because science belongs to God. He's the one that invented it. We know now, we have the technology that we can see right from the earliest time, from conception, that life is alive. A couple of verses later, we see where God says, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. 
God was pleased with his work. He looked on it and thought it was very good. There was no mistakes. There was no flaws in what God had made. And so then we read a little further along. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So God created moms. He created motherhood and designed it to be the most important and the most influential earthly relationship that there could ever be. Everyone in this room either has or had a mom. Some may say, I had a lousy mom. Some might say, I had the best mom ever on the planet. But the fact is that whether for good or for bad, your mom had a most significant influence on your life. And the reason is that God designed it that way. Now, this is definitely not necessarily politically correct, but biblically, the fact is that God designed the woman, once there was children in the marriage, to be in the home raising and teaching them in the scripture and in how to become respectable adults. In Deuteronomy, we read, Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk in your way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. That the days of, that your days and the days of your children <clears throat> may be multiplied in the land in which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. You know, those aren't suggestions in there. God says shall in that verse four times. <clears throat> the beauty of God, though, is that he always follows up his commands with a promise. He prom he, and his promises are treasures for obedience. He says, if you follow these commands, you and your children's days will be multiplied in the land. There are blessings for obedience to God's word. And the blessings are that you get to live the life that he has available for you. Because like any good father, he wants the very best for you. And if we follow his plan, that's exactly what we will get the very best life we could live. Now in these days back then, um, these verses presuppose that, you know, the father was outside the home doing what he had to do to make everything work. And, and the wife was inside and she was taking care of the kids and she was raising them up in the way that they needed to be raised up and teaching them scripture and teaching them how to be good and respectable people. And it makes me angry in our culture when they try to demean the role and the importance of mothers. They scoff at the idea that there should be some kind of fulfillment or gratification in the raising of your own children. And in many homes today, kids are just seen as a necessary addition to be fit in, but not really want to take responsibility for molding or shaping their lives. Some say that it's the government's responsibility to raise our kids. And believe me, that's just what Satan wants. We see daily the results of that kind of thinking. Kids today are struggling. 
They're given bad direction in every area of their lives, and we see the culture trying to get hold of them earlier and earlier all the time. There's never been a time in history that the family has been under more of an attack than it is right now. Satan wants nothing more than to destroy the family. And I thank God that more and more people are waking up to that fact that we as parents and grandparents need to be invested in the lives of our children. And there's no one that plays a bigger role in this than mom. Paul reminds us of the importance of mom in the raising of a child when he says in his letter to Timothy, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, I am persuaded it is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the loving laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul was encouraging Timothy in this last letter, and that's the last letter that we know of that Paul wrote. And it was written from a Roman prison where Paul waited to be executed. And he was, not that long after. And so the days were getting harder and there was a lot of persecution for the followers of Jesus. And Paul was writing this letter as an encouragement for his son in the Lord. And I really love the way he does this. First, by reminding Timothy that he's in Paul's prayers continuously. He tells Timothy to remember the godly heritage that he's been blessed with. The Bible tells us in Acts that Timothy's father was a Greek, and we don't know whether he was a believer or not, but what we do know is that both Timothy's mother and grandmother were believers and had taught Timothy the scripture from a very early age. Paul says later on in that, Timothy, in that letter, says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So we know that as a child, Timothy sat at the feet of his grandma and his mom, learning the ancient scriptures and the prophetic writings of the Old Testament. And we know it was the Old Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. They were still working on that. As Timothy grew, he had all of these things tucked away in his heart and his mind. And then, when he heard the words of Paul, speaking of Jesus and how he had been the fulfillment of these Old Testament scriptures, he believed, and he was born again in Christ. Now, H.A. Ironside says, Grace is not inherited. It is not necessarily true that because your parents are Christians, you will be saved. But unless a spirit of rebellion is developed against the things of God, the children will follow on in the steps of godly parents and be led on in the ways of God. As Christian parents, we have a right to expect that our children will be saved if we bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But we need to be careful that we walk before them 
so that they may see in us what a Christian ought to be. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We as parents, because dads play a vital role in the raising of children as well, as the head of the home, they need to be that picture of the love and the care of Jesus. But we'll save that message for Father's Day. We have a God-given obligation to teach our children in all of the things that will help them grow up as good, reasonable, and dependable people. Absolutely. But even more importantly, in the truths of Scripture and in God's eternal plan for their lives, there is no one more suited to do this than mom. You know, science tells us that the most formative years of a child between zero and 12, and who do we want to be the greatest influence on our lives, on our child's lives during those years? Do we want it to be the government? Do we want it to be the school system? Do we want it to be the village? Or do you want mom to be that great influence? You see, the thing is, whether you mean to or not, you are that influence. Our kids are inherently, they want to be like mom and dad. They're watching you. And their love and their admiration is for you. Kids have a built-in desire to forgive almost anything from mom and dad. And there's always an opportunity to make things right for your relationship with your kids. They love you so much, and they naturally want to be just like you. And that's why today we are celebrating our moms and proclaiming that motherhood is a gift, not to be taken for granted and not to be wasted. And that brings me to the second portion of my message. This is something that I'm really passionate about. And I'm hoping that as we go through this message this morning that you'll become passionate about it as well. We're going to talk for the next few minutes about the topic of abortion and the crushing effect that it's having on women and girls across this country. Now, I hope nobody is sitting here thinking, oh man, we should have just taken mom out for brunch. Why are we here? This is too political. Why are we talking about this? But let me just say that the problem regarding the abortion issue is not the presence of darkness, but it's the absence of light. God has called us as his church to be salt and light in this world, and we can't be that light if we don't shine it into the darkness. And let me just say as well that I'm not going to be standing here talking about protesting on the streets and doing all that kind of stuff. What I'm going to be talking about is what we as a church can do to address the hurt, the shame, the pain, the confusion, and the need for healing, and the help that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can provide for women and girls who are struggling right now with an unplanned pregnancy or a past abortion some of whom may be right here in our church. Church, I believe that there is no darker issue today than the mass murder of innocent unborn life. It's not a political issue. It's a love issue. When asked by a scribe in Mark chapter 12, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus answered, the first of all the commandments is here, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Church, this morning, if we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, how can we not want to reach out and help our neighbor? In Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25, we read, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up testing him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus answered him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you shall live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So who I'm asking is our neighbor. Isn't it the wounded and the needy all around us to whom we can help by telling them of the love, the forgiveness, the peace, and the restoration that is found in the gospel of Jesus and the living out of that example set for us by Jesus? And who is a better example of the wounded and needy than a woman or a girl with an unplanned pregnancy looking for an answer of what do I do now? Is it God's love in us that would shame that girl or turn and walk the other way from the woman who so desperately needs that answer? So desperate that much of the time and so guilt-ridden that she would rather run to an abortion center than run to the church and ask for help. What I'm suggesting to you today is that we stand as a church body united together and be the answer for these women. Through the years that love life has been in existence, it's come to light that about 40% of the women that are having abortions say they regularly attend a church. But for the reasons I talked about before, guilt, shame, fear, they choose to run to the abortion provider instead of running to the church. What does this tell us? Well, it tells us that the voice of the culture seems to be winning. The voice that would say to a woman, it's not a baby, it's just a clump of cells. Get rid of it. Your life will be ruined if you don't. You don't have to tell anyone. Nobody will have to know. 
But what does God say? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Psalm 139 says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Jeremiah says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And in Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Has anyone ever heard a woman say, Oh, I'm so excited, I'm so happy, and post on social media, Oh, I'm going to have a clump of cells? No. Because no matter what lies they've been told, they know the life growing inside of them is a baby. And a baby that is known by God and loved by God. So we need to be a stronger voice than the culture. Stronger by our actions toward the women we meet in our lives that are going through this struggle. We need to be the understanding, caring, loving body of Christ that will reach out and say, let us help you. We'll meet your physical and financial needs. We'll help you find a place to live. We'll get your car fixed. We can get you diapers and food. We can do whatever it takes to help you as you choose to give your baby life. So today, you know, we're starting our baby bottle campaign, and, and that's a wonderful thing. But sometimes, as a church or as Christians, we just throw some money at a situation and think, there, I've done my part. That's good. And you know, that is a wonderful thing, and I hope we break our record from last year. But I hope uh, what I'm talking about today is so much more than that. Love Life is a group that was born in the mind of a guy named Justin Reeder, a young man, an entrepreneur in 2012 in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's a business owner and he's an entrepreneur who was taken by two of his friends to an abortion clinic. And he saw there what he didn't even know was happening and it was happening right across the street from one of his businesses. And the Holy Spirit grabbed his heart. He's a young Christian guy and he wanted to be a part of solving this issue. And so he got an idea together and he formed a group called Love Life and put it together in 2016. And since then, this Christian-centered organization is now in 14 states and has over 800 churches working alongside of them. 
You know, a young woman that goes to this church came to the elder group and asked if we would be interested in becoming a house of refuge and joining the Love Life team. We thought it was a wonderful idea and we wanted to become a part of it. And I have to admit that the Lord really got a hold of me. And this is something that he has just put deeply into my heart. And this is an amazing opportunity for Riverside. We would be the very first church in Canada to become a house of refuge. You know, and there's some things that Love Life is able to do in the States that we can't do up here because of Canadian laws and restrictions. And it's interesting, Brent Muxlow and I were able to go down to Bellingham a few weeks ago and, and be part of a pastor's luncheon that they were having for Love Life down there. And we didn't know at the time when we went down, but part of the, uh, the day, we got up as a group. There was probably 50 of us there, um, pastors and, and ministers of different ministries around Bellingham. And we walked about six or eight blocks down to a Planned Parenthood center. And it was something where we just stood across the street in a line and we just prayed. We just prayed for everything that was going on inside that lives and minds would be changed. And as we stood and prayed, Love Life has, had a team, they called them sidewalk teams, and they, uh, they were at the gates of the abortion center. And, and they had, you know, they just respectfully and quietly engage with some of the women and even some of the men that are bringing their girlfriends there. And they talk to them about options. They give them some pamphlets and tell them about the Lord and tell them that this is not the only answer. And you know, it's, it's amazing that uh, I see stories week after week of some of the results of these sidewalk teams. They get emailed to me and, and I see them and they're just like, <laughs> it just breaks your heart because some of these women are just standing there and they're just saying, I didn't know what to do. I was looking for a way out. And if it wasn't for the sidewalk team there that day, I wouldn't have known that there was an option. And they regularly, the average is about 20 lives per week that are saved across the United States because of the Love Life ministry on the street. And so, yeah, absolutely. So that is something that we can't necessarily do up here because the government has restricted our ability to be anywhere within 50 meters of a, an abortion center or hospital or, you know, but we can still do prayer walks and things like that around the hospital. They can't, they won't stop us from doing that. But the one thing that we can and we are going to do is we're going to stand as a church and become a house of refuge. And Pastor Brent and I and the other pastors and elders, we have looked at this statement that I'm going to read, and we fully agree with it. And we want to launch this today in our church. So I'm just going to read this house of refuge statement. Riverside Calvary Chapel is a house of refuge. 
This applies to everyone in this church or people you know that need a place of refuge. If you find yourself in an unplanned pregnancy, please know that being pregnant is not a sin, and the child you carry is not a punishment. It is a blessing. God is knitting this child in your womb. You may have made a sinful decision that led to this pregnancy, or you may have even been sinned against. But we want you to know that you are loved, and we will do whatever it takes to help you carry and care for this precious child before and after birth. We can never support or encourage a woman to have an abortion because this child you carry is made in the image of God and is intrinsically valuable and loved by God. And so you need to know how we will respond. Here is what we won't do. This church family will not gossip about you, will not shame you or abandon you. This is a house of refuge. And we will not allow for the family of God to harm one another with words or actions contrary to the love of God as revealed in his word. Here's what we will do. We'll do everything in our power to remove whatever obstacles may stand in the way of you having this child. There are people in this church ready to mentor you, throw you a baby shower, and to connect you with resources both inside and outside of the church. Resources such as local pregnancy care centers and, if required, adoption agencies. We will also hold men accountable for living out their calling to provide and protect women and children. Finally, if you have ever had an abortion in your past, we want you to know that abortion is not an unforgivable sin. Whoever confesses and forsakes their sins finds both forgiveness and mercy. And if you have never gone through a post-abortion Bible study, we'll be happy to connect you to one so that you can walk in complete healing and freedom. You know, this last part of something that needs to be stressed very strong. The devil is such a liar, and he would have you to believe that there is only shame regret and condemnation and that no one could possibly understand or forgive you for having an abortion that's such a lie and he would use that same lie in order to get you to have an abortion the exact same lie to bring on guilt before and after the fact when we as the body of the christ bring gospel of salvation and healing we bring the truth to shine the light of jesus on the lie the Bible tells us in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus knows how you feel, and he understands and he cares Hebrews 4.15 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And we as the church body will follow his example to love, care, and forgive anyone who has been through this trauma. 
So there it is. This is something I believe that God is calling us to do as a church. We are in a war for the lives of babies and moms in this country, and it is a spiritual war. We know that because it's evil. It is straight from the pit of hell. Satan would destroy the lives and families inside and outside the church all across this nation. But what does the Bible say about fighting spiritual warfare? Ephesians 6 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. So we need to stand. We need to stand first in prayer. We need to be in prayer on this issue. And I would challenge you again to set aside a day or part of your day in fasting and prayer weekly for this issue. And pray about what God would have you specifically to do to play an active role in the Riverside Calvary Chapel House of Refuge. Some of those needs would be mentors. This is godly seasoned women that would walk alongside a girl or a woman that would come to us for help. Some needs are practical, providing rides, providing rides to and from care centers, hospitals, um, just doing the day-to-day things, picking up groceries, getting a car fixed, all the different things that might stand as an obstacle, might give the, an excuse to say, no, I can't do this. We need to be able to make it say, yes, we can do this. We can do this together. We need to stand as the eyes and ears and feet and hands of Jesus in these issues. So I want to thank all of you today for being here and listening to this message And I know that, you know, on Mother's Day, we want to just think about that. (laughs) But this is a a vital thing. There's a lot of moms in potential distress out there that need our help. And so if you decide that you want to be involved, if you want to be part of this ministry, I would invite you to contact the church Um, They'll put you in touch with me. My email is on the website. You can email me. Vicki Kobilke has stood up to say that she will be our church representative that will be a liaison between the church and the women and love life. And so you can let her know. And we want to just compile a list of people that we can have available so that when the issue comes up, we have people we can turn to that we can just say, yeah, we've got somebody that can cover that need. And today, if there's anybody here or watching online that is going through this situation and you need prayer, you need help, contact us. Let us know. We want to be there for you. I just want to leave you with one more verse today. And I would ask the guys at the back to leave it on the screen for a couple more minutes. Proverbs 31 says, Open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. What would God have us to do? Worship team, you want to come up? Precious Father, we just come to you today and we just thank you. We thank you for your word. 
And God, we just thank you for the power and strength of your Holy Spirit in this place that would cause us to stand up and take, take initiative on this issue. God, we just thank you that we can come at it with the love and the care and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ because we know that we are all sinners. There is none of us that stands before you blameless except by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for that. Lord, instill in all of us the will and the desire to walk forward in this. And God, I just want to thank you and and just pray for your special blessing today on all the moms that are here, all the moms that are potentially here. Lord, we just thank you for all of this today. And we just praise your name and we give glory and honor to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.